hour and 15 minutes, 50 years and an hour and 15 minutes ago, God sent a gift into the world, and her name is Andrea. Today's her birthday. It is the big 5-0, and uh, I know y'all don't believe that, but it is, and uh, I'm very thankful for her. She has to put up a lot being married to me uh, for numerous reasons, and uh, it's quite an accomplishment. You're right. You're right, brother. So she needs your prayers. Pray for her, but uh, can we just sing happy birthday and Who's our other birthday? It's your birthday today, too? It's my birthday for the past 15 years. Wow. Well, see, I'm, I'm not real good. With, anybody that knows me knows I'm not real good with, with birthday dates. I'm, I'm not. If I miss your birthday, it's not because I don't love you. I mean, I, listen, I missed my brother's birthday. I missed my niece's birthday that's two years younger than me. They all happened in November. And I, one day, I mean, just like last week, I'm like, Hey, my brother and my niece both had a birthday last month, and I, you know, so they just have to trust that I love them even when I don't call and tell them happy birthday, uh, or if I call them late. So, happy birthday. That's right. That's right. That one's been beat into me, so, no. All right, let's, let's sing happy birthday to everybody that's going to celebrate a birthday today or recently or in the near future. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. God bless you. Sarah and Andrea. Happy birthday to you. Yay! I love you, honey. Happy birthday. I love you too, Sarah. All right, let's open our Bibles to 1 John. Did you want to say something? I'm sorry, I didn't want to. I mean, she does like to get up. At, she does like to speak in public, and I have to kind of say, no, honey, this is not the time. But you sure? I mean, I, this one time, I will let you if you, okay. Just checking. Y'all know that's not true also, don't you? First John, chapter 4. Now, we're talking about life of faith, and um, today we're going to talk about a life of faith perfected in the love of God. A life of faith perfected in the love of God. When we started this series, our scripture uh, that I read to you, and I've read it to you every week, I'm going to read it to you again before we get to 1 John chapter 4, is Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but happy is he who keeps the law. Or we could say it like this, where there is no prophetic revelation, the people cast off restraint. There's an interesting uh, scripture in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Uh, it says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And my point here is that everything in the Word of God, everything that has been proclaimed, everything that is prophesied, the point to it all, what it all leads to, what it all comes to is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of all the catastrophes that are going to happen, all the bad guys and, you know, things that make good movies and good book series. No, the point of everything is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And where there is no revelation of Jesus Christ, we can say it both ways and they're both true. The people perish 
and they cast off restraint. So the point of, of our prophetic revelation, the point of what is to be revealed is Christ. It is to see him, it is to know him, it is to enter into his life. And so when we talk about a life of faith, this is what, this is what I'm speaking of. I'm not just talking about what church do you belong to, do you go uh, every week or once a month or twice a year. I'm talking about what is in your heart. Who are you? Remember, we said that when we talked about being empowered by the Spirit, a life of faith is also marked as a life empowered in the Spirit of God. And being empowered in the Spirit is not about what, it's about who. It goes to the question of who are we, our identity. Not just what we do, because we can do things, but we can only be who we are in Christ, as God has imparted His very life to us through Jesus Christ. And so this life of faith must be motivated by this vision, this prophetic revelation, who is Christ, right? So today, a life perfected in the love of God, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Father, we just ask you today that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds. Teach us and illuminate, Lord, your inspired word to us that we would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we would see more clearly day by day and be transformed into that very image that we are beholding, the very image of Christ, the very image of your Son. Father, conform us to that image for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's read the scripture again. There is no fear in love, but fear, perfect, fe- perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So a life perfected in the love of God is a mark of a life of faith. And we said all of these things, a life, a life governed in the word of God, a life empowered in the spirit of God, a life perfected in the love of God, Those parts, the sum total of those parts, bring us to what? They bring us to a life conformed to the Son of God. That's what Romans 8.29 says that our destiny is, to be conformed to the Son. And so a life perfected in the love of God is a life free of fear. But I I think we need to qualify. I want to qualify it this way. It's a life free of unhealthy fear fear. Do you guys know there's healthy fear and unhealthy fear? Now, the Bible is not contradictory. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But yet, God told Joshua over and over and over and all through the scripture, matter of fact, fear not, for I am with you. Well, God, make up your mind. Am I to fear or to fear not? To fear or to fear not? That's the question. No, that's not the question. We need to understand, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. So there is an unhealthy fear and there is a healthy fear. So before we get into talking about this scripture and looking uh, into a life perfected in the love of God, I want to just touch real briefly on healthy versus unhealthy fear. So 
healthy fear, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm sorry, Proverbs 1.7 is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Luke 12, verse 5, Jesus says, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him who has the power to cast into hell. God does. Jesus said, I'll tell you to fear. Fear God. What he was saying is don't fear those people that can kill your physical body. But fear him who not only can kill your physical body, but has power to cast your soul into hell. This is why the martyrs went to their death with smiles on their faces and songs in their hearts. Because they knew their physical death was nothing. That that death of this physical body and this physical earth was just a transition to what truly was their eternal state and their eternal promise. They knew that they would inherit the earth. They knew that they would rule and reign with Christ on the earth. Death, they had no fear of death. Here in the West, we fear death. We fear death because we are so caught up with this earthly life. Because everything, think about this. Everything in our culture, even as as I touched on when we took communion, our peace, our joy, our happiness... Whether we're blessed or not blessed, do you realize how much of that is tied to this earth and to earthly things? And that in and of itself creates in us this fear of letting go of the earth and the earthly. But yet, Jesus says, don't fear those who have power over your physical bodies. Fear God. How is the fear of God a healthy fear? Because it's the beginning of knowledge. Because it's the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge that begins and the wisdom that begins with the fear of the Lord is the knowledge and the wisdom of the Lord. That's healthy. So we need to rightly divide what is healthy and unhealthy fear. Let's talk about unhealthy fear. So healthy fear, we could say it this way, is knowing you deserve judgment but have escaped that judgment by His grace. Right? So knowing the love and the grace of God you have received, knowing that love and grace is unearned and undeserved, while the judgment you did not receive is really what you have earned and really what you do deserve. But I didn't really get what I earned and I didn't get what I deserved by the grace of God. Hallelujah. But knowing that I missed that, not because of what I did, but because of what he did. He has the power to cast my soul into hell, but by the grace of God, he did not do it. Though I deserve it. Understanding that and appreciating his love and his grace, it's a healthy thing. Understanding who he is. But now, an unhealthy fear is knowing you deserve judgment, in believing that you're only going to escape it by your works, believing that God's love and God's grace is something you must earn and something you must work to deserve while fearfully wondering how you will measure up in the day of judgment. 
Some of you perhaps came from a tradition that was very works-oriented. And you spent most of your life in that tradition wondering whether one day you would truly measure up. Maybe you wondered how long you'd have to spend in purgatory. Maybe you wondered whether you really were saved or not. And you were doing your best, working, trying to earn God's love and God's merit and God's favor. That's torment. God, that's not, what, that's not gospel. That's not good news. That's an unhealthy fear. Fearing how we will be received in the judgment is an unhealthy fear. Why? Because 1 John 4, 17 says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, present tense, so are we in this world, present tense. I know it doesn't make sense, right, to the carnal mind, but this is why the Bible says, The things of the Spirit are not carnally discerned, carnally understood. They are spiritually discerned. What God is talking about is spiritual in nature, and you're not going to understand spiritual things with your carnal mind any more than you can stand out on a hillside and and hear the sunset. You can't do it because you're using the wrong faculty to discern what you're trying to get. Your carnal mind is not what you use to discern spiritual things. It's your heart. And it's the Spirit of God that filters it and enables you to come to be able to comprehend it and to know it as your mind is renewed from a carnal state to a spiritual state. The fear of the Lord, uh, the fear of condemnation in Christ. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who... Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And verse 9 says that if we are Christ, if we have the Spirit of God, we are no longer in the flesh, but we're in the Spirit. So fearing that I'm going to be condemned by God is an unhealthy fear. It's not founded in the Scripture if I know that I am in Christ. Fearing that we can lose His love, that I'm going to do something that's going to make God not love me. Several times this week I had conversations with people and they made statements like this. I guess I'm just doing something wrong. God must be mad at me. Because something happened in their life. I guess I'm just going to have to really try harder. Because I must be doing something wrong. Because like God is up in heaven waiting for us to do the wrong thing so that he can punish us. You can't find that in the scripture. It's not there. If you're a child of God, that's not the way God views you. John says in the day of judgment, you have boldness and confidence. Because as he is, so are we in this world. That's an unhealthy fear. Fearing that we can lose his love. Romans 8, 37 through 39 makes it very clear. There's not anything that's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So fear that God's love for us is not complete. Or we have to earn it indicates a mind that is not being renewed or a mind that's lacking in the knowledge of His complete love that we indeed have in Christ. You already have His complete love in Christ. You already have it. But if you believe that there's something that you have to do to get that, and you're fearful 
about your relationship with God, that's an unhealthy fear, okay? This is the fear that John is talking about in 1 John. Now, let's go, let's go to 1 John, and let's, let's, uh, let's go up a few verses, and let's read this, this end of the chapter, starting in verse 7. Let's read from verse 7 to verse 21. Let's just read it together. If you don't have a Bible, I, I hope you do, but if you don't, there's one uh, under the chair somewhere near you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins or to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of or from His Spirit. What God has given to us is not from this earth, it's not from this world. God has given from Him His very own Spirit. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? You Samaritans worship in the mountain, and we Jews worship in Jerusalem. That's what the woman said to Jesus. We worship at the mountain, you Jews worship in Jerusalem at the temple. Jesus says, not about where you worship. It's not about whether you were of this kingdom that worshiped in your capital, Samaria, on top of a mountain, or whether you were of this kingdom and you worshiped in Jerusalem at a temple. For I'm telling you right now, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And God the Father is looking for such to worship him. Right now, that's what Jesus said to the woman at the well. Whew. Man, that was like a huge theological statement Jesus made to her. And after Jesus said some other things and revealed her heart and, and exposed the things in her heart and the, the conditions of her life, man, she goes back to the village. She brings the whole village out. She said, the Messiah is here. Come, see the man that I have met. God is spirit. Here, John says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. The car you drive, the house you live in, the church your membership is with has nothing to do with whether you abide in Him and whether He abides in you. The question is, have you received of his spirit has he imparted his very spirit and his very life to you has he this is how we know that we abide in him and he in us verse 14 and we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world whoever confesses 
That doesn't mean you just say it. That word confesses holds a much deeper meaning than I just say it from my mouth. Like, like we sing songs and we don't really even know what we're singing. Now, come on. Have you, have you guys ever, like, you know, remember when you were a teenager and you were all into music? You listened to these songs. You could just sing them. You ever seen that car commercial where they're all driving, they're singing the song, and they're all singing different, because you know, you know how some of these guys, they sing, you can't really understand what, what, what it is they're saying. But you know, you just, you just sing whatever word you think it is that the song is. But then, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, you're listening to that song, you're just like, man, you mean I was singing that? Oh my gosh, I can't believe I was singing that. That's not what this, this is talking about. This is not what John's talking about. I'm not just uttering something from my mouth with no meaning, with no understanding, with no comprehension. He who confesses, he whose words agree like covenant that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God abides in him, and he abides in God. We... We minimize these things. We trivialize these things. We, we cause these things to lose their true meaning. Words have meaning. A question came up in Bible study. Do you think God's scripture is inspired word for word? Absolutely it is. When the Holy Spirit inspired John to use that word, confess, the Spirit of God knew exactly what he was causing the apostle to write. And when the apostle wrote, he who confesses, he whose words agree with the word of God, he whose words agree with who God himself, who Christ himself has declared himself to be, he whose word agrees with that, he abides in God and God abides in him. It's not a thing I do for a moment. I walk the aisle and I confess Jesus. Now I'm saved and I can go live like hell if I want to. Well, you can. Just because you walked the aisle and you said something doesn't mean that something really transpired in your life. Verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Love is not just a verb. It is a noun. It's not just an emotion. It is a person. And He Who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. That is such a powerful statement that the Spirit of God is making. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that? See, if you're only looking at your flesh, if you're only looking at, if you're looking at the wrong thing, you can't believe that. If you've got your eyes anywhere except on Christ, you're not going to believe that. But if you have your eyes on Christ, not only can you believe that, but the Apostle Paul says, listen, as you look into that mirror and behold the very image of glory, you will be transformed into the very same image. Whoever you have your eyes on, that's what you're being conformed to. That's what you're being transformed to. 
I don't care how old or how young you are, if you have your eyes on the world, you know what you're being conformed to? You're being conformed to the world. And wherever you have your eyes, that's where your mind is going to be. And having your eyes on Jesus and being conformed to Him is not just a, a work that I make myself do. It is something that is It's just like breathing. It's just something I do because this is the way God created me to be. If you've been born again and recreated according to the image of the second man, raised in his life, then this is what your life should be. It really should. But that doesn't happen automatically. That doesn't just become complete and look complete automatically. There is a process that you have to go through. And this process, the scripture calls it renewing your mind. Let's go on. And he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. It really wasn't a new commandment. Jesus didn't teach anything that wasn't already revealed in the Scripture. He boiled it all down to the essence of of what the Scripture is communicating to us. Because remember, the Scripture... When it's all said and done, it's communicating Christ to us. And this is the essence of Christ. He is love. Those who abide in love abide in God because why? Because God is love. Jesus said, here's the new commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you. This is the commandment. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, from the heart, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If what you confess, if what you're speaking doesn't come from your heart. But here's here's the flip side of that coin. Wherever your heart is, that's that's really what's going to eventually come out. You can talk the language. You can wear the costume, you know, but, but the reality is over the course of your life, in the day-to-day, nitty-gritty, what's in your heart is what's going to come out. Christ is in there, Christ is going to come out. This is, what, this is what John is saying. It's not a threat, it's just a statement of fact, right? Say right. You see allusions here from John's gospel. I mean, you see the vine and the branches in verse 13. By this we know we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. Like a branch abiding in the vine. And the life of that vine is being imparted to that branch. And that life is being manifest through that branch. Is the life of the spirit that's been imparted to you, is it being manifest through your life? He says in verse 20, if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother. He is a liar. Makes me think of 1 Corinthians 13. 
Now here, see, what we want to do is we want to take 1 Corinthians 13 and take all the attributes of love, and we want to study those, we want to memorize those, and we want to try to live that. And we think if we master that, we study that, memorize that, get that mastered, and we do that, then we must be good to go. Mm, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Because are you just doing that out of your will, the will of your flesh? Because see, here's the thing. Over the course of your life, the will of your flesh cannot sustain true, godly, a true godly life. Because if Christ is our life, then your imitation is going to fail at some point. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. Why? Because God is love, and God is eternal, and God never fails. But you acting, are you imitating, are you trying to conform, you might master that for a while, but eventually it's going to fail. So what's the solution? Not put, it's not putting the right thing on the outside, it's getting it right on the inside. So Jesus said, hey, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. You look really good on the outside, but I hate to tell you, you're never going to see the kingdom of heaven that way because you're coming from the wrong root. You're, you're, you're living in the wrong vine. You're eating from the wrong tree. It's the wrong seed. You need to be born again. So a life perfected in the love of God. What, what does that mean, that word perfected? See, when we read 1 John 4, 18... And we read this, and it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. In our humanness, in our carnal mind, we think, if I could just love God more, then I wouldn't be fearful. You've got it backwards. It's not about you loving God more. It's about you understanding how much God loves you. Because if you think you're going to have to love God to a certain measure, to have confidence in the day of judgment, you might as well give up right now because you can't reach that level of perfection. But if you can surrender and say, you know what, God, I give up because I can't do it in my flesh. I can't do it out of my old nature. I can't do it, period. You are the only one that can do it. It's not whether my love for God is complete. It's whether I understand that His love for me is complete. Do you understand that, church? In the midst of the tribulation you are walking in right now, do you know, in spite of your tribulation, do you know that God's love for you is complete? Now, I know you're going to say yes because you know what the Scripture says. But I'm not talking about a mental assent here. You know what the right answer is. I'm saying, do you know? Do you know? In your heart of hearts, with all of your perfections, and only you and God really know the level of your imperfection, and God knows it even better than you do, and in spite of that imperfection that exists in your life, do you have absolute confidence that just like John declares that we are to have, do you have the absolute confidence that God's love for you is complete? This is what the Scripture is declaring. This is why we're saved by grace. If we can 
earn it, if we can merit, if we can work to get there, then we don't need grace. A life of faith is a life perfected in the love of God. It's a life that has come to comprehend God's love. Now, we'll never humanly comprehend it, but can we come to a place where we know that in spite of ourselves, God love, God's love for us is complete. That, that terrible tragedy that happened in my life, the fact that I'm having a hard time paying my bills right now, the fact that my honey, my wife, my husband just left me, whatever the case may be, my car broke down. And in spite of that, that has nothing to do with God's love for you. And in spite of those things, God's love for you is absolutely complete. Absolutely complete. And you are not his enemy, but you are at peace with him because he, Jesus Christ, is your peace. He is. Perfect love cast out fear. The knowledge of God's complete love for us cast out fear. That word fear there is where we get our word phobia. Anybody have a phobia? Phobias are not good things. Some people have phobias of high places, heights, snakes, spiders. Who loves spiders? I love spiders. I don't kill a spider in my house unless it's a black widow or a brown recluse. Now, Terry wouldn't say that because I know for a fact Terry doesn't like spiders. Kill them all. That's the way my dad was. My dad says the only good snake's a dead snake. So I don't kill any snakes unless it's a rattlesnake. or My rat snakes, I just take them. I let them go. My wife gets mad at me. They saw a big old rat snake by the porch the other night. Did you kill it? I said, no, I didn't kill it. I wanted to eat the rats in my yard. They're good. They're not bad. Well, I don't have any cats because my dog likes to eat the cat. So, you know... <laughs> So, you know, snakes live a lot longer around my house than cats do. So, this is where our word phobia comes from. Fear opposes faith. Fear involves torment. Faith involves peace. Faith works by or through love. Did you know that? Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith. Working through love. That word working there is the same word from James 5.16. The fervent prayer, the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's the same word. It's where we get our word energy. How does faith, what activates our faith? What makes our faith active? God's love does. The only reason you have faith in God today is because God poured his love out in your life. He didn't give you his love after you got faith. It was his love that caused your faith to come alive. Faith working by or working through love. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. John, 1 John four nineteen. So our faith is activated and it's active by or through God's love. And that love is to be manifested in and manifested through our life. So 
So God loved us first. We receive his love. Our faith is active, activated by working, by the, by the working of God's love. Fear opposes faith. But the revelation, listen, the revelation of God's perfect and complete love for us cast out that fear. Do you know there's always going to be fear opposing you? Fear is always going to be opposing your faith. It's the nature of the world we live in. It's the nature of the fallen all around us. The nature of your flesh, this body you live in right here. Listen, you have perfected glory living inside this jar of clay. This jar of clay is is rooted and grounded in fear, but who you are in Christ is rooted and grounded in faith. So you're always going to have this flesh. This is what Paul meant in Romans 6 and 7 when he says that the carnal mind is enmity against what? Against the Spirit. This is fear opposing faith. But perfect love. It's the revelation of God's complete love for us that casts out fear. That revelation of God's complete love grows, listen, as we grow in the knowledge of Him by being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the renewing of that mind must be according to the revelation of Christ. Where there is no vision, where there is no prophetic revelation, the people perish, they cast off restraint. Where there is no revelation of Christ, that's what's going to happen. But where there is a revelation of Christ, there should be a growing, an increasing of that revelation, that ability to see, to know, and to comprehend His love. And as you grow in that, it casts away your fear. Ephesians 2, let me read Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 to you. Go there. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God, who is rich in mercy, why is He rich in mercy? Because of His great love with which He loved us. And when did He love us? Even when we were dead in our sin. And it was that love that made us alive together with Christ. Paul reminds us there, the Spirit reminds us, by grace, you have been saved. Go on to verse 13, Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to close with this. Actually, verse, let's see. Actually, it's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. Ephesians 3, 13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul is writing to this church. He's in chains. He's gone through tribulation. He says, don't lose heart because of my tribulation. For this reason... 
I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That's a beautiful picture. In whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We all have God's name. Isn't that awesome? I don't care what your last name is here today. Here is a picture Paul is presenting of the children of God. Our name, our identity, whether we're in heaven or whether we're on earth, our identity comes from our Father. That He would grant to you, here's Paul's prayer, that He would grant to you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? In love. Why love? Because God is love. Because love is what we're commanded to do, because love, God's love, cast out our fear. He says, look, you guys are, are all named and known by God the Father in heaven. My prayer is that you be rooted and grounded in love. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know, to experience the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Is fear filling your life or is God's love filling your life if God's love has filled your life there is no room for fear that love that is complete in you complete from him should cause fear to be cast out it's like having a cup with gunk down in the bottom and you run fresh clean water you know what eventually is going to happen there's no there's no room for that gunk anymore and, and you will be filled. And there's no room left for impurity. Don't give place to fear. Don't give place to those things that are counter and contrary to the love of God. Let that fullness of God fill you. Let that control your life. Let that speak of who you are. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a long time. To all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is the Apostle's prayer for you. He didn't write that prayer to you, but he wrote that prayer for you. God didn't record it to you, but God recorded it for you because you are part of the family right here. You're living in this earth. You are part of the family named and known by the Father in heaven. And the promise of his love is to you, to your children, to your children's children, to every generation forever and ever. Amen. When will his love stop? It will never stop because God's love never fails. It never fails. A life of faith 
is a life perfected in the love of God. And I pray that you would meditate on the reality of God's love, that you would allow that love in you to be manifest through your life to those around you. We know what that love looks like because Paul recorded it for us there in 1 Corinthians 13. But just know you can't love like that out of the power of your flesh. You can only do it by the power of the Spirit of God in you. Can you forgive as you've been forgiven? Can you love as you've been loved? Can you let go of offense the way God let go of offense, your offense toward Him? Do we recognize that we are named from one Father in heaven? That we are the family of God? And we can look beyond our differences and love one another? And live in unity and harmony with one another, glorifying our Father in heaven. This is a life perfected in the love of God. A life that's not fearful, but a life that is bold and confident. Not because we've done enough, but because He has done everything. And in Christ, it is finished. Amen? Let's all stand. His love is beyond our imagination. It's beyond what we could think or ask or ever comprehend. The love of God. It's what He's given to us in Christ. Don't minimize that and don't trivialize that. It is the greatest thing that God has given to us. If He would not have given us His love, We have no hope of life. We have no hope of salvation. We have no hope of anything except certain judgment. Father, we ask you, Lord, even as we approach the day we call Christmas, Lord, men mark Christmas, and rightly so. But the Bible gives no mark of Christmas Because what we celebrate at Christmas should not be remembered and celebrated just once a year. It should be what is common in our life every day of the year. And I pray, God, that you would, even as the Apostle Paul prayed, that you would cause us to come to a place of knowing and comprehending the love of God that passes knowledge and understanding. Help us, Lord, be people that have been perfected in your love. Not because we love perfectly, but because you are perfect and you are love. Help us, God, to live with boldness and confidence in that love that you have so completely manifest to us in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to manifest that love that is in us to those around us that the world would know that we are truly your disciples and that our witness would be true and would bring glory and honor to the name above all names. Lord, we ask this for your glory 
And we ask, God, that you would be glorified in your church for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you're here and you want prayer, you might have a physical ailment in your